When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, Doug Maurice. Big news breaking on this Saturday afternoon. One of my guinea pigs bit off part of the ear of our other guinea pig. And we were at the emergency animal hospital until 1 a.m. on Friday night. The guinea pig who had part of his ear bitten off is okay, it seems like. We have now separated them. Uh, Much like on this podcast, the fight was about dominance and trying to establish dominance. And uh, the one who tried to establish it by biting off part of the other ear, he's in trouble. So we think they're going to be okay. We got some bacterial spray. We gave him some extra celery here on Saturday. And I think, oh, there's other stuff happening. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Doug Maurice from Cleveland.com. I'm doing a quick intro. No Steven, no Nathan. We have a great interview that I want to give you, and I was kind of waiting to see if something happened before I put this out Saturday, so you're not getting it till late Saturday. It's like an extra Saturday pod because we missed Thursday. It's Deontay Lee. He's a high school football coach from California. He did some really good film breakdowns on the Ohio State defense that caught my eye on Twitter. So I interviewed him, I don't even know now, maybe like 10 days ago, about Ohio State's single high safety defense why they did it, how much they did it, how it worked for them, why they may or may not stick with it. And it's something we've talked about a lot on this podcast. Will Kerry Combs go away from single high safety now that he's in charge of the defense? I think there's personnel things that fit into that. I don't think they're going to abandon it. But Deontay, who breaks down film much better than I do, he's a journalist. He's a football coach. He's a film breakdown guy. He'd like to get into journalism at some point. I just thought he was super smart. I I never talked to him before, and I want to have him on again. I would love to have him do some stuff for Cleveland.com. Man, I just thought he was so good. So I like want to make sure you guys get this interview, and you need to hear it because it will apply to Ohio State's defense no matter what. No matter when they get back on the field, what Deontay Lee is going to tell us now matters. But Ohio State parents are speaking, and that's what we need to talk about first before we get to that interview. If you want to be a tech subscriber, I've been firing out texts to the subscribers on Saturday afternoon. The Ohio State parents released a letter that they sent to the Big Ten on Saturday. I've been trying to talk to people around Ohio State to try to figure out what's going on. The the parents aren't happy. And parents at Iowa, parents at Penn State, parents at Nebraska have expressed similar sentiment. And basically, they don't like the way the Big Ten has handled itself during this cancellation. They want a fall season back. I would not hold my breath on that because trying to undo a decision, some players have like sort of scattered to the wind a little bit. They maybe have stopped following 
all of the protocols that were sort of demanded of them by their teams while they were doing football workouts. So if you restart now, you kind of have to restart the testing. I think there's a little bit of a reacclimatization period that you have to go through reacclimatization. Reacclimatization. You got to get used to stuff again. So that would be an issue. Is it a thousand percent impossible? Listen, if you can't really start fall camp until you we can't. The NCAA rule is you can't start fall camp until 29 days before your first game. So if the Big Ten moved back the start from September 3rd, weekend of September 5th, and moved it back to the last weekend of September, which is what the SEC is planning right now, you could go back to like voluntary workouts for another couple weeks, start camp in late August, 29 days out, and try that. If the NCAA would let you, they've already done a couple days of fall camp. Ohio State did five. They just never got to the full padded, full contact stuff. So like, is that impossible to do? I don't think it's impossible to do at this point, but you would have to ask the Big Ten to go back on its decision and admit a mistake. And I think that's hard to do. So I think what the parents really want to do is they kind of maybe want to get the Big Ten to admit a mistake while not actually changing the outcome, right? That is this really going to lead to the Big Ten playing fall football? Uh, I'm not going to put it at 0%, but that is a really hard ask. But I think what a lot of people, and again, I think there's been a lot of smarter smarter Big Ten writers than me who have been on this, and the parents are really pushing this. They just want Kevin Warren to say, what is up? How was this decision made? And you can try to do things that make things better for the future. Holding leadership accountable is never a bad idea, even if it's not going to change this decision. Kevin Warren's new. I think if he wasn't new, he would have done better with this. So we had a lot of angry people, a lot of angry tech subscribers, a lot of angry listeners right off the bat mad at Kevin Warren. I don't think it's malicious. He's new. But as other people have pointed out, the Pac-12 in making its decision to cancel released the full nine-page letter from its medical board of why they went into things. They had a Zoom call with media where people went through all kinds of stuff. And Kevin Warren did a Big Ten Network interview where he kind of evaded the most important questions. <clears throat> so I get that. So the parents, I mean, you got, I respect what the parents are doing. And I, I've seen some pushback. Listen, the players tried to use their voice and it didn't work. So now the parents are trying to use their voice. So it's not like mommy and daddy coming in to save the players. The players already did something on their own, and they said, we want to play. Justin Fields helped lead that movement, and the Big Ten and the Pac-12 aren't playing. So this is this sticky in-between where they're not kids. They're not. And, And if we have ever used the phrase kids, I mean, it's, you know, 15 years ago when I started doing it, you more often called college football players kids. They're not. When you risk your bodies and brains, you're not a kid. Not at this level when you're in a multi-million dollar sport. Kids that 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds and 20-year-olds that are doing big, important things uh, aren't kids. But they're also not fully adults. We know what college kids are. They're in between. That's the whole point of college. You start as one thing, you end up as something else, and it's a great transition. And you don't have to go to college to do it, but by the time you're the person you are at 18 and the person you are at 22 is probably pretty different. So I get that the parents are trying to come in over the top now because the players already did their thing and it didn't work. And so what I see is a multi-prong attack by Ohio State here. And this is my sort of analysis of the situation, but I've talked to people. I'm trying to keep abreast the best I can. And and there was a time when Ohio State, I wasn't having much luck getting people to talk to me about stuff. And I've talked to some people lately. The parents are doing this public push, public pressure. Is it going to result in a fall season? I doubt it. 
but public pressure, public accountability. Meanwhile, Gene Smith, I think he's trying to like get the ADs together. I think the ADs, this was a presidential decision to cancel the season and that was split. I think the ADs are more united. The ADs work together all the time. They run the athletic side of this conference on a daily basis, 365 days a year. So they know each other really well. And Gene Smith's pretty good at that stuff. So they couldn't tell. The, the presidents had to vote. The presidents had to vote in the end. So the ADs can't tell the presidents what to do. They can advise them. But this is a not just a football issue. It's a health and welfare issue. So it's complicated. Of course it's complicated. But I think Gene Smith can rally the ADs to the January plan. And Ryan Day has laid out the January plan with support of some other coaches. And if Ohio State and also parents at Nebraska and Iowa and Penn State and some other places are sending similar letters to the Big Ten expressing, expressing similar ideas, maybe this helps even more of the chance of getting you to the January plan that's the next best thing to the fall. It just may be that the ship has sailed on the fall. It's canceled. It's canceled. I don't, I don't know. I don't know that that's, that's a man. That's an uphill fight. But God bless anybody who's fighting it. So the, the Ohio State parents are fighting it. I think it's part of, a, of an overall plan of accountability. And if they don't get a fall season, it doesn't mean they failed. And the players already did their part. So everybody at Ohio State is trying. All you can do is try. And my main point in this is the Big Ten's decision to cancel, in the end, might be the right decision. If you're seeing reports now, Notre Dame students are back on campus and Notre Dame, Notre Dame saw some kind of uptick in COVID cases. The students are back. Oklahoma had a little uptick, I think, this weekend, right? I mean, it's, it's not like the virus is beaten. And it's not like canceling is a ridiculous decision. But the way the Big Ten did it, I don't think they engaged their ADs enough. I don't think they engaged their coaches enough. They certainly did not engage their players enough, and they did not engage the families enough. And that's why everybody is pushing back now. Yes, they're pushing back against the decision, but they're also pushing back against the way the decision was made. So I don't know that you can change the decision, but maybe you can change the decision-making process, make them have more transparency, and maybe you change the decision-making process for down the line. But this is the sticky middle, man. It's, are we going to have a players association or some kind of union someday among college athletes? I mean, what if what if you got a parents association that every individual football program has a, a parents association? What if it's a parents association? What if the parents unionize? I know that's not really a thing, but like, what if you had a nationwide parents association that demanded that conference deal conferences deal with them? Who's it supposed to be? They're kids and they're not. They're not, but they're young men and they're grown men, and they're both at once. And so, of course, their parents are going to back them up. And it's just, it's just, gosh, it's really complicated. I, I'm, I know I'm, I'm sort of repeating myself. It's just so complicated. It's not to let Kevin Warren off the hook. Man, I was just talking to somebody on Saturday. The idea that this was the year for the Big Ten to transition commissioners after Jim Delaney basically created the modern Big Ten. And they had good, they had powerful commissioners before, but... He ran this conference basically during the entire evolution of the modern college sports era. And this is the year you went to a new guy with the name, image, and likeness stuff, with the social justice movements taking place, with the COVID-19 pandemic. Man, Kevin Warren was thrown into it. And he just, I mean, he hasn't done a good job, at least on this front. 
he hasn't done a good job communicating the decision-making process. But we may be at a point in September where nobody is playing football, and the Big Ten was right. But what I think everybody would agree on is the way they did it and the way they communicated it wasn't right. And that's what these parents are pushing back against now. So I'll, I'll read this real quick. If I have a story up on Saturday afternoon at cleveland.com. I mean, everybody did. They just put the, media, they put the letter out on social media. These were their bullet point demands at the end of the letter. Reinstate the August 5th game schedule. So that's a 10-game non-conference schedule that was unveiled by the Big Ten on August 5th. Reinstate that schedule in the event a fall season is deemed not to be in the best interest of the athletes. Provide a detailed plan for an alternate season. No plan for an alternate season when the Big Ten canceled this time. That was a mistake. Provide full transparency to the coaches, players, and parents regarding the data used to make your decision. Have a meeting with representatives that include players, parents, and coaches. Again, the Pac-12 kind of did that. Here's where Here's data. No Big Ten data. Big Ten commissioner to participate in a Zoom call with senior players and parents. That's just open communication lines. I mean, that's not much to ask for. I don't, I don't like he should do that Monday. Allow teams who are prepared to play to play. Those teams who are not prepared to play should be given the opportunity to forfeit or opt out until next season. That's tough. So you're just asking the conference to no longer act as one, and you're asking the conference to just allow a world where maybe Ohio State, Iowa, Nebraska, and Penn State play somehow, and nobody else does. I I don't think that's particularly realistic. Um, If you thought maybe one one team that was really in dire straits or really had an outlier position was going to opt out, maybe, but I, I just don't know that it's realistic to think, well, let four or five teams play. My understanding is that maybe those were... Kind of those were maybe the teams that voted to keep playing in that area, three or four. So that that I think is more of a non-starter. But when you make a list of demands or suggestions, you can't ever just include the things that are easy to do. You include you include pie in the sky kind of things. So then there's room to negotiate. Provide a detailed action plan including standard protocols and safety practices for all teams. Again, this is what Ohio State's been emphasizing. They believe in their safety position, their safety protocols, but is everybody in the Big Ten necessarily at that level? That's a financial consideration as well. So you've got to figure out the finances of that. If everybody um, had the money to do what Ohio State's doing, maybe they already would have done it. But that's a, you know, I get that. And then provide us with a response no later than August 19th, which is Wednesday. So that's the letter. Do I think it's going to bring back the fall season? No. Do I think it's going to force the Big Ten to be more transparent? Quite possibly. And do I think it was worthwhile doing? Absolutely. And do I think the January plan is possible? I absolutely believe it's still possible right now. Hard, not a guarantee, but I still think very possible and much, absolutely the next best thing to playing in the fall. All right, let's get down to football because it matters. It's still going to matter. So maybe even, even if it's not to the fall of 2021, we're going we're gonna to wonder a year from now, what is the defense going to look like? I'm just telling you, I just I just respect guys that when I talk to them, I think, man, I love talking to that person. I learned a lot from talking to him. That's the case with Deontay Lee. Listen to him. And, and listen, here at Cleveland.com, Buckeye Talk, the tech subscribers, we're going to keep updating you every time we learn anything. So try the texts, 614-350-3315. It's a great time to do it. We've added a lot of people in the last week because there's a lot of stuff popping and jumping around. Um, so try it. And then if you want to bail, cool, that's fine. But this isn't, man, this is crazy right now. And if we find out that there's any kind of movement, whatever, 
2% chance, 5%, 10% chance it might be. I mean, the, we text subscribers first as we get our stories ready because it takes 15 or 20 minutes to get stories ready. But texts take 15 seconds. And it takes a little while to get on a podcast. But I've been texting. It's 4.45 on Saturday. I've been texting all afternoon. So thanks to everybody who listens. Thanks to everybody who subscribes to the text. Let's get ready for Deontay Lee. And just let your brain just relax. Just listen to some football talk, knowing that all this other stuff I just talked about, that's still going to be out there at the end of this conversation. But this is fun football talk. Deontay Lee on Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. All right, joined on Buckeye Talk by Deontay Lee, who just caught my eye with a great film breakdown. And I am here for smart film people. So, Deontay, you are joining us all the way from California. Am I correct? That's right. San Diego, California, about as far west and south as you can get on the map. Um, I coach high school at a, at a school in Imperial Beach, California, which is kind of on the way to the uh, Tijuana border. Okay. Wow. So that's down there. Did you, how close are you? It, it, Chris Olave is from that neck of the woods, right? Is, is he not? Is that? So he is from San Diego. He went to, he went to a school called Eastlake um, when he started his high school career, um, which is in Chula Vista. And from there transferred to Mission Hills and played with uh, another guy who's in the big 10, Jack Tuttle. Yes. I believe he's at Indiana now. Yes. They played together. Uh, Jack was a quarterback for Chris. And uh, they went all the way, I believe, to the second, not, yeah, the section title um, in our highest division out here. They are a very talented pair. I will say, I think Ohio State fans, we've told that story a couple times. Ryan Day goes out to take a look at Jack Tuttle and says, who's that receiver? And boom, Chris Olave becomes a Buckeye. And what a great thing for Ohio State football. So, Deontay, I'm always curious about, and we're going to dive into your breakdown of Ohio State's single high safety look. And it's just fantastic. But I'm just always interested in here you are you have a life you're a high school football coach what makes you do something like this what made you sit down and say i'm going to do a film breakdown of ohio state's defense and put it on the internet um so i've got my start in writing was probably a little bit more unconventional than most people who maybe kind of try to tow the water and put their toe in the water as far as how they write and coaching and trying to find that balance. So before I got to writing about scheme, I was actually doing NFL draft work um, with guys that your followers may know, Justice Mosqueda, uh, Charles McDonald, who works for oh, New York Daily News now. You're with those Derek guys? Klassen. Yep. That, those, guys, those guys, they kind of opened the door for me and, and really kind of pushed me to try to start talking about football and writing about it. So I did that. Um, I worked for Mark Schofield at Inside the Pylon for a little while. Um, and in doing that, I that's when I first kind of the idea of talking about scheme caught my eye then. And the things I was writing with Mark was starting to get a bit of traffic. So I kind of thought, well, I have some free time in the off season. Usually what I'm doing in the off seasons is studying a bunch of college defenses to try to see what I can steal and bring to high school. Um, and I figured while in the process of taking my notes and going to clinics, that it might be interesting if I wrote that and published it for the public. Um, because as a young coach, it's very difficult for me to find all the information I'm after. So part of it is if I can help another young coach who may be interested in this way to get access to that kind of information, it'd be great. And I've learned now that fans have a great appetite for wanting to understand what's happening on the field. Um, and that drives me to kind of try to share as much information as I, as I can. 
I love it. I've had uh, I had another podcast that's on hiatus right now uh, where I did a lot of Browns and NFL stuff, and I had Charles and Justice and Derek all on that podcast at various times. I met I've met Charles a couple times at the NFL Combine. I know he's in New York right now doing great stuff. Tremendous. Mm-hmm. I didn't know you were hooked up with those guys. So this work now what I, what caught my eye. It appears on thepostcorner.com. So I would encourage mm-hmm. any Ohio State fans listening to this on Buckeye Talk, go find it on thepostcorner.com. And I love the headline, Just Better Than You, Ohio State Wins with Simplicity. And this is a lead, baby. Sometimes in football, the answer to the problem is just lining up, thinking less, and whooping butt. And the, I, the reason why that's so intriguing to me, Deontay, is because – we talked so much around Ohio State the past couple of years. In 2018, they were very complicated. Guys were moving around too much under Greg Schiano's system. They weren't comfortable. They weren't flying to the ball. All the new coaching staff, and they brought in four to five new defensive coaches in 2019, all they talked about was simplifying, simplifying, simplifying. We wrote about it a million times before last season. Now here you are coming in with the film breakdown – and that's your main takeaway that is when you looked at Ohio State's defense in 2019, you saw a defense that was simple but let guys make plays. Is that a fair characterization? Absolutely. I think that I think in football, at least from a fan and spectator perspective, we kind of get the misconception that if you have large amounts of talent, that you're better off trying to be as complicated as possible. Um, And I think some of that kind of comes from the fascination with guys like Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, um, the Lincoln Rileys on the offensive end, the guys who seem to have tools in the toolbox for every situation. They run the most complicated, complex defense. Gary Patterson's another guy that comes to mind as well. Um, So with me, and I watch the Big Ten usually on Saturdays because it's on Fox, um, and I can kind of catch that noon game, and I know Ohio State is on there very often. Um, and I believe I was watching the Wisconsin game, which I ended up breaking down for film. Um, that was one of the first times it really caught my eye. Like, wow, you know, I'm watching a team that's clearly talented. You know, Chase Young, clearly a talented player. Um, Damon Arnett and Jeff Okuda, clearly talented players, um, as well as the rest of the defense. And I just thought it was great. And I can, from a player perspective, I know how liberating it is to know that your coach is going to say, I'm going to put you in this spot. Here are your roles and responsibilities. Everything beyond that, I am trusting you to go make a play as an athlete. And they played to that. You can tell that that was not just lip service or something that you say in a press conference because it makes for a good soundbite. They really kind of lived by that. And you can see in that simplicity, you actually get these great explosive plays from your athletes because they get to play downhill. They don't have to think about how to line up. Um, what their roles may be on any particular call. Um, and I think that that's a, it's a great way to be able to execute on defense without having to do all the myriad of things that other guys do um, at different programs. Deontay, does that really only work or maybe work best when you're super talented, when you say our guys are better than your guys? Or can that be an effective defensive game plan even at a place where it's like, all right, well, maybe we're fighting an uphill battle with talent, or maybe it's an equal battle with talent, or does it make the most sense at a place like Ohio State? Um, it probably works. I mean, I guess this sounds like a cop-out answer, but anything works best when you have more talent than your opponent. Um, you can kind of do whatever you'd like. 
I would say for this particular kind of philosophy that they employed last year, um, and I'll be interested to see what it's going to be like with Kerry Coombs when he gets to install his defense, um, see how much of that he keeps and what he changes or brings from the NFL. Um, but I do think that if you are the more talented team, if you have the ability to just line up and make simplified calls and allow your guys to just go and run, that will always be a winning business model if you have the talent to support it. Um, if you don't, you can still do things that way. Um, the one way I like to think about it as a coach is if that is the way that you approach it, you have to be able to make peace with the fact that you are going to have certain weaknesses no matter what. Um, and I think actually Ohio State kind of ran into that when they played Clemson in the playoff game. They were able to handle 85% of what Clemson threw at them. The things that they had a difficult time with were throws to the tailback and quarterback run. And those just happen to be two of the weaknesses that you might run into if you're running cover three and cover one, which they do as often as they do. And sometimes you just got to shrug your shoulders and tip your cap to your opponent and say, you got me. You have the one thing that breaks what we do, and we may not be equipped with an answer. Um, and obviously, there were some mitigating circumstances with Wade being ejected for the game for the targeting penalty and some other calls that maybe did not go in Ohio State's favor. But just in terms of the results of the plays, you could tell that there was one particular weak point or one critical mass that Clemson was able to tap into that they had trouble with. But on a general level, I think if you look at it over the span of 14 weeks, 15 weeks, Ohio State can be happy saying we did something simple and the only team who could take advantage of it had the talent to take advantage of it. We did not lose because the scheme was broken. So the big change, again, for Ohio State fans to get used to last year, Deontay, was that they had been they'd played two deep safeties most of the time. They had not been a single high safety team until last year. Um, Ryan Day wanted that. Jeff, Jeff Halfley brought that. And again, one of the major things, and man, you know this, we've been in off-season mode for so long now. We've covered every aspect of this team, up and up and down and backwards and forwards. And one of the main things, and you brought it up with Kerry Combs, is will they re retain this single high safety look? Because when Kerry Combs was here before, they traditionally played press man with the corners with two safeties. Yes. Now they played, they pressed up, but they had a mix of cover one and cover three with the single high safety. What is it about that single high safety look where they typically have a third corner, a slot corner on the field. They're able to play three linebackers, three corners and one safety. Do you like single high safety in general? Do you think there is an advantage to having, you know, to play in two safeties instead, or maybe mixing up that look sometimes, because as you explained in your article, and again, it just stood out to me, you say most teams like to disguise the shell and rotation of the safeties just to plant a small seed of doubt. It is rare for teams to play with a single high safety and present it to you directly, yet that's what Ohio State did. What is, you mentioned the throw to the tailback and the QB run, but do you think, I mean, if Ohio State sticks with the single high safety look the rest of, in 2020 as well, does that, does that make sense? I think it does as long as you have a replacement. So when Wade eventually moves from being the slot corner to being an outside corner, are you going to have another guy who can replace him? Um, inside the slot. So that way you, so the, the way I think about single high is it's a great 
style of defense if you can match up man for man across the board, meaning my nickel corner is going to be just as good as your slot receiver or better, or I can at least hang reasonably. My outside linebacker, my Sam linebacker, um, because I know they're a 4-3 team, so I'll say the strong side linebacker, can he handle the matchup with the tight end? If he can, great. Um, my free safety has the easiest job. He just kind of has to, you know, set the halo or set the umbrella over the defense. And I need two outside corners who can deal with those talented outside receivers that we might be seeing on a week by week basis. Um, So as long as you have the personnel, it's great. Um, And it allows you to be a little bit more efficient in your time as far as preparing for the offense. Um, Because they, I think that one of the reasons why they were as effective as they were um, was because they could play with different ways to generate pressure with four because they don't have to worry so much about how they can make it work with the coverage shell behind them. So you might see, um, if an Ohio State fan goes back and watches the tape, you might see on third downs, Chase Young isn't just the left end. Now he might be lined up over the center or over the guard, and there's all kinds of different twists and stunts that are happening to generate pressure. And you can do that and maybe be a little bit more aggressive with that if you know what you're doing behind all of that movement is staying static. So some defenses like to choose where they want to be static and where they want to be a little bit more dynamic. And I think that for Ohio State, if they have the bodies to go to replace the guys that they're losing on the back end, they should be fine. Um, I'm not, obviously, I'm not as on top of where the roster is at now. I know that they're having an excellent recruiting class um, that's coming in, but those guys won't be impact players in this upcoming season so much. That's going to be something down the road. But as long as you have the bodies for it, I think it'll be an effective strategy. Um, I try not to get too much into is something better or worse than the rest because there was a point in time where I thought that what Gary Patterson does with TCU in the four-two-five quarters, two read, you know, blitzing and playing cover zero. When I started in coaching and when I was a college player, that to me was a holy grail. So I didn't think that anything could work beyond that. And now that I've expanded my mind a little bit and I see, you know, what Clemson does with Brent Venables is a defense unto itself. And there's really not anything like it. And it works for them because he knows how to make it work. Same for Gary at TCU. Um, Even the split safety stuff that Ohio State used to do traditionally, that kind of tails back all the way to Jim Trestle and Mark Antonio being the defensive coordinator there. Um, So there is a lineage in that um, that I think Kerry Combs was present for as well. So as long as you know how to fit the pieces and find the answers when problems come up, you can run whatever kind of defense. I would be surprised if if they stuck as hard to playing single high this upcoming year as they did last year, though. So and part of that, so then would be, I mean, last year they're putting three first round corners on the field, Okuda right. and Damon Arnett in the first round last year. And everyone's expecting that Sean Wade's going to be a first rounder in the next NFL draft. They've done right. that before when they had Denzel Ward and Gary on Conley and Marshawn Lattimore, they weren't playing all three at the same time. Then they were rotating three through two spots, but mm-hmm. they're not. And, and again, I'm supposed to be the expert on the roster. I'll tell you, they don't have that. They don't, they aren't going to put, in my mind, at least not that they're not going to play at the level this year. They're not putting three first round corners on the field. That slot corner is not going to be quite at that level. So are you then saying if Kerry Combs says, you know what? I just don't know if that slot corner can match up on a slot receiver, that nickel corner and play him all over the field. Let's back that off. Let's play three linebackers 
two safeties, two outside corners, pass off that slot receiver through a couple other guys, a couple other defensive looks. Would that be a nod to maybe we don't have the manpower to match up with three corners and a single high safety? So if we play split safeties, that'll take a little bit of pressure off if our talent level isn't quite what it was in 2019. I would think so. And within that, it now opens new doors. So you might be able to create different kinds of pressures. One thing about playing single high versus split safety, to me at least, is that it becomes very difficult to disguise where you might be bringing pressure from. And I know that for Ohio State this year, if I had to guess, they're going into the season on the assumption that they're going to have to find new ways to generate pressure because you don't have a once every 15 year type of defensive end like Chase Young lined up on the quarterback's blind side anymore. So that is just, you know, a logical kind of response to loss of talent is they're going to have to find different, more creative ways to generate pressure. And on top of that, now you add in the fact that you might not have the kind of coverage ability that you usually would, um, on the outside and in the slot. So with that, you set different kind of coverage shells. Like you said, you might play more split safety, maybe more quarters, maybe more cover two, which for a lot of the guys who are on the roster is not going to be like learning a brand new language. That is something that they've learned before, just under a different staff. Um, and now, you know, this will be for some guys, for some of these guys, this is going to be their third guy calling the defense in as many years. So, it might not be so difficult for them to go back to what they may have came in as freshmen or as red shirts or transferred in. Maybe what they came into then in the beginning before it was halfway last year might be something that they're a little bit more familiar with. Um, so it's kind of a blessing and a curse. There's going to be something new that they're going to have to do defensively. But on the other hand, because they're turning over so many new guys in the secondary, this might actually be a return to some terminology and some philosophy stuff that they are already, that they had already been exposed to uh, prior. Let, let me ask you this. How much does the skill of the opposing quarterback factor into whether a single high safety look or a split safety look might be a better option for a team. And the reason I ask is they did play more two safety against Clemson, I think, than they did at, at other points last season. Josh Proctor was on the field more against Clemson as a second safety than he ever was during the regular season. And the idea that in the Big Ten, there's not a Trevor Lawrence in the Big Ten. Well, there is a Trevor right. Lawrence in the Big Ten. It's just that but he, he plays for Ohio State. <laughs> and there's nobody else – you're not afraid yet. You're not afraid of Sean Clifford at Penn state. You're not afraid of whoever the Michigan quarterback is going to be maybe Tanner Morgan, right? Although he's not going to have Rashad Bateman. So it's just another level. I did going into the Clemson game think, man, maybe, I don't know. Again, I'm not a film guy. Do they need to maybe drop a second safety at times? Cause you might need a little help even with your good corners. Cause you're talking about Trevor Lawrence and those T Higgins and Justin Ross and these Clemson receivers. Is that, would that be a reason for Ohio State against the best quarterbacks they play on the schedule to do more two safety looks because, man, Trevor Lawrence or whoever like that that you might be playing might have a better chance than the average Big Ten quarterback of taking apart your single high safety look? I do think that – so I think you actually hit on both ends of it, and I do think it's a true 50-50 split. One half of it is the quality of quarterback you play that does determine – how you design your defense from a coverage perspective. And then the other end is the receivers. So 
you can maybe live a little bit more in single high when you're dealing with Wisconsin receivers, where maybe you're saying, I know they have a dude, but they don't have three. Or if you're playing a Michigan where maybe they have some talent on the outside, but they don't necessarily push the ball downfield in a way and leave them in one-on-one situations in a way that scares you. Um, now for Ohio State's um, aspirations year after year, it's not, they're not always looking at how can we just be better than, you know, our eight or nine game conference schedule that we're going to deal with. It's always a, where is Georgia at? Where is Alabama at? What do we need to be prepared for if we have to see Clemson again? What about uh, Oregon? And schools like that who might have a little bit more perimeter talent, then that is really where you have to kind of start stressing a, I don't know if we have the corners for these kinds of guys where we can just line up and play press one-on-one all day. Maybe we need to put a little bit more of an umbrella over the defense. Maybe we need to look at a little bit more cover two. Maybe we need to look at cover four. Um, maybe we need to mix these calls. Do we need to pressure instead? So I would, I would say it's hard, to, it's hard to imagine exactly what Ohio State will be this year, but I think that in that what you're going to see is hundred times more multiplicity in this defense than what was seen in 2019. I don't think that they can just line up and play that way. Um, the way that they did last year. Um, my friend, a friend of mine said, Galena actually gave me a stat when I told him I was going to be on uh, this pod. And he let me know that PFF had uh, done their run on Ohio state. And what they found is that they lined up and just played single high on over 70% of the snaps, which is like by far the highest in FBS. So that I think is going to be out of the window as far as showing it pre-snap and playing it post-snap. I believe that they they had a significantly higher margin than any other school in FBS. Um, I might be getting that number wrong, but I'm pretty sure if I'm really good. I mean, it was so, I'll tell you, Deontay, again, I'm going to keep making excuses for myself. My podcast listeners are used to this, Deontay, that I keep (laughs) explaining to them how I don't really know what I'm talking about, even though I've done this for 15 years. I'm not a film guy, which is why I talk to guys like Derek and Justice and Charles and some of these other people, because I love talking to people like that, and I love talking to you. It was so strange to us. It's just we had never seen Ohio State do it, but I did not have a handle in the moment of, okay, this is, this is new for people who have watched Ohio State football for years and years, but for you to say not only is it new to Ohio State, nobody else in FBS was that dedicated to a single high look. I, I, did, not, I did not realize that, and I guess that probably leads back to a little bit, why did you write about this? And your breakdown is so interesting. And again, we'll make sure all of our, of, our, of our listeners go read it. It is because it's that unusual. It stood out that much to you because when you watch college football around the country, you didn't see that many teams lining up with this look and saying, we're not disguising it, come after us. Right. So the, the hot trend is the teams like the Iowa States, the teams like the San Diego States. Um, Clemson picked up some of that from Iowa State, so you'll see it from them as well where I believe Syracuse did it, Baylor's run it as well, um, where you're playing with three high safeties, so one safety on each hash and one on the middle of the field, and you have three down linemen, and you're playing like Tampa 2, different cover 2 types of schemes, cover 4, and you're running these very exotic and intricate pressures. Um, And Ohio State saw some of that from Clemson, especially in the second half when they weren't worried so much about J.K. Dobbins' running ability. 
Um, and you saw that they were able to force turnovers and get a lot of pressure on the quarterback and kind of cause some uh, discomfort for Justin Fields. So when I'm watching Ohio State with that kind of thing in mind, and I'm seeing that not only are they not using what the hot trend is in football, they're not even using maybe some of the more standard um, defensive schemes that you might see, some of the too high uh, cover four stuff, uh, match quarters, cover two type of deals, cover three where you're cut, where you're carrying the seams, all of those kinds of things, which I think a lot of coaches who watch college football will tell you is pretty standard across the board for them not to really be doing any of that outside of very specific types of circumstances was extremely striking on film, especially coupled with how successful they were. Um, the first time when I watched it, my assumption was, well, maybe they're just doing it because of this particular team that they're playing. Maybe that just happened to be the game plan. But the more I watched across different opponents, I saw that this was really a way of life for them. They were able to do it just as effectively against Wisconsin, who runs the ball all the time, as they are against the Nebraska, who wants to line up, split out as wide as possible. So it was extremely shocking to me to see the team that was this committed to playing this style of football, which you really, we really don't see in football anymore unless you're talking about a team that's playing against an offense that's always playing with multiple tight ends and running backs and fullbacks and trying to run the ball down your throat all the time. How much of that factors in as well that, again, in the Big Ten, they're going to face more good running backs, more good tight ends than they are, than they are going to face great quarterbacks and great receivers. You wind up with an extra hat in the box, right? If you only have one right. safety hanging out back there, is this a way it just helps your run defense? It maybe helps clog up the middle of the field, the short passing game, because you don't have two guys floating 12, 15 yards from the line of scrimmage. You only have one. There, that is absolutely a piece of it. Um, and I think that is kind of self-fulfilling. We do this because we're seeing the teams that – play this certain type of style and we are having success. So it's reinforcing in that way. But I will say, you know, when guys like Mark D'Antonio were there, when Kerry Combs was there as a DB coach, when Chris Ash has been there as a DB's coach, these are all guys that I've kind of followed and studied through their times at Ohio State and the kind of defenses that they've run. They were still running two high types of structures um, and you can see, even with Michigan State, who has slipped, I think, because they're having a talent issue more so than a scheme issue, they will, they will still play with two high safeties, showing cover four, and they have found a way to be able to stop the run. Um, when Danto since D'Antonio's been there, especially when Narduzzi was there as a defensive coordinator, um, a lot of those schemes were a part of the DNA at Ohio State as well. So I do believe that there is one piece of we're going to see a lot of heavy run schemes, and this is an answer for us. I just happen to think that they felt more so like when teams go away from that particular type of offense and try to spread it out, we are still confident that we have the bodies to line up against what they're doing and be able to cause them the same amount of trouble as, they, as we can when they're lined up very tight and condensed and trying to run the ball at us. Deontay, how old are you? I am 26. What do you want to do with your life? You want to be like a college coach or you want to be a, a, a football analyst as a writer? Um, funnily enough, probably neither. <laughs> um, I would actually, I went to school at Sacramento State and studied journalism and political science um, as a double major. So at, at the end, I'd like to be able to cover politics. That would be kind of, that's the kind of pie in the sky 
dream that I had is to be able to cover California politics. But you're um, also coaching high school football at the moment. Right. That's correct. Um, right now, my mind is kind of set on trying to work in the education system. Um, so I'm not only a high school football coach, but I am a, I'm a paraeducator, so a teaching aid for a special education class as well. Um, and that has really kind of piqued my interest and passion in trying to create more equity on an educational level for all of our students. So that's kind of where my head is at. And eventually, as I get older, continue to go to school, um, do some postgraduate work, I would like to be able to transition from working in the educational environment to being able to take that into policy. And if not, then I'd like to cover politics so that way I can press politicians about their policy on these types of matters. So Deontay, I have some bad news though. I cannot have you on this podcast anymore because then people will want to get rid of me and just only have you on. Because that was so, that people are going to be like, my God, Doug has to get a guy from California who's 26, who wants to cover politics to explain football to me. Deontay, you're like opening minds here on the Buckeye Talk podcast. Man, I don't know. Would you ever come back again? Would you ever come back and be on Buckeye Talk again, you think, down the line? Absolutely. Like I said, I'm watching Big Noon Saturday all the time. So anytime there is some Big Ten news to talk about, I'll be here. Anything Ohio State related, I will always show up if you need me. All right. Let so me know. let's make sure that when you're not on Buckeye Talk, the good listeners can still follow you. Where can they read you? Where can they follow you? You mentioned a blog. How can people stay in touch with the work you're doing? So the blog is, as you mentioned, thepostcorner.com. That's all one word, thepostcorner.com. I'm on Twitter at D-L-E-E underscore T-P-C. Um, you can find me there on Twitter, and that's pretty much the only social media I have these days. I'm trying to shrink my screen time as much as I can um, before I return to work because all, all of this news that we get on a day-to-day basis can really kind of put a drain on the day. What about TikTok? What about TikTok? No. You doing TikTok dances? My kids make me do TikTok dances. You're not doing that? I, I download a TikTok for a day and I scroll through it and I realize that for as young as I am, I think I'm a little bit too old to be involved with TikTok. Uh, so you won't see me doing any of the new TikTok dances and challenges, uh, but I will be on Twitter for as long as I can handle it at least. And if All right. not there, you can always find me on my blog at The Post Corner. All right, so Buckeye Talk listeners, let's make Deontay realize that uh, spending half an hour with us was worth his time. Let's, let's jack up his followers with all of our Ohio State uh, listeners going and following Deontay and all the good work he does. And that'll do it for this Buckeye Talk. Thanks to Deontay Lee. Deontay and I did, at the end of the football conversation, talk about the cancellation of high school football in California and talk about what was at the time the issue of Pac-12 athletes uniting for player rights. And so much has changed. It's just we, I, I wanted to get this out to you guys like 10 days ago or two weeks ago, and then everything started happening with uh, Big Ten football, and so it got delayed to this point. So I don't want Deontay to think that I'm not acknowledging his opinions on that. He had some interesting stuff to say about, you know, it's a difficult situation to cancel California high school football. There was some an, an immediate, uh, not hysteria, but there was some worry, he thought, from some people of, oh, are a bunch of kids going to transfer? They get transferred to Nevada, that kind of thing. But he thought in the end, people sort of realized it was probably a, a smart decision, and then they start planning for the future, which is something the Big Ten could learn from, maybe plan for the future. And he just thought the Pac-12 movement was really important. Athletes' rights, 
very much on the side of athletes' rights and, and the power they have, and he thought it was important they realize the leverage they do have in this discussion. So I just want to acknowledge that Deontay did have some strong opinions on that, and we'll talk about that kind of stuff when we have him on again. It just it That full conversation just lost some relevance because too much has changed since he and I talked about that, and that's on me, not him. So that's where we are. We'll keep you updated on what's going on with the Ohio State parents. We'll keep you updated on what's going on with the future of this Big Ten season. I would not get your hopes up about the fall, but I would stay very engaged on the idea of January football in the Big Ten. So Ohio State is going to keep pushing for that. and They're going to keep trying to use leverage in a variety of ways uh, to get that done. So for now, thanks again to Deontay. Thanks to you guys for listening. Mark it down Monday with me, Nathan, and Steven on Monday talking about who our playoff teams would be in a real season. Interesting market down Monday, and I don't know. The Big Ten comes back once again relevant. But for now, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>